Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The, uh, the blood plot was amazing. <laughs> Disgusting. Disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty great. I just, I just like have this, this visual, this mental picture of just long, droves of people just, hey, hey, bleed me, bleed me. Yeah. <laughs> Till I lose control. Uh, For the record, if we did do the doctor scene, the cost hmm. of the doctor was going to be two, two, two copper bits, whatever, two ounces of. I forget exactly how much, but whatever you got. Yeah. Yeah, it was going to be exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> Breaking even. It, it costs blood to go to the doctor. <laughs> That's so unfair. It's a bleeding economy, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it turns out you're low on blood. So that'll be that'll be two ounces of blood. Mm-hmm. Pay for that oh. diagnosis. Are you going to use them for labs? Or you got to spend blood to make blood. Oh. There it is. Can we can we please encounter a blood bank? We don't need to go inside. Just mm. see an existing one. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Moving on. That'll that'll be like a separate uh, heist series that we do. Just robbing the blood bank. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Here. I mean, it'd be a very it'd be a very morbid <laughs> career's cool episode for them to. Wendell, Gable, and Nodos head down the tunnel as the finch flies away, and we follow the finch into the sky and then zip kind of over to Ormar and Travis. Ormar and Travis, where where, where are you at? I'm happy that in this intervening time, we have kind of made our way to where we need to be, but- I love you know, that. <laughs> enough time has passed <laughs> where we are, you know- um, Oh, I would like to find you. I think you are both on mm-hmm. a boat. Yes. Um, you're you're on one of these airboat equivalents that we have described where in order to get around to new locations in the city, there's a lot of infrastructure set up for people to like take established routes. But if you are going somewhere that is not like a frequently traveled or established route, I believe there are a couple steps involved. First of all, there is like a grappling hook, like catapult blaster thing that you have to shoot uh, to anchor itself somewhere, which establishes a firm line. Then you have these ships that are propelled, but they can only move forward. You can't really steer them. And I was like, how do we 
get the the fun zip of an airboat kind of with uh, the technology that we have established without abusing Featherweave because Featherweave, again, is extremely mm-hmm. rare. It's not the sort of thing that people would use for, for, for boats. And I remember, I don't know if anybody else uh, got this toy as a child, but it was like a tin ship that you had to like put a little candle on um, and it would, the heat of that candle would draw uh, water up a tube and then spit it out uh, the back of the tube. So it was like kind of like a, an air heat powered um, motor ship. I I think it showed up in in the Ponyo Mm. film. If anybody's familiar with that studio Ghibli classic, it is a really cool thing. I don't know the physics mm-hmm. of it. I don't know how well it scales, but I really do love the idea that we get some deep, dense swamp peat that we can like dig up that burns just like super mm. hot, super efficiently. We can put a lump of that on like one of these engines and just have like the firm putt putt of this ship across a grappling mm-hmm. line. So this is like um, a hot air boat, hot air balloon, but for the water. Nice. Mm. Yeah, kind of. Uh, Oromar is actually kind of um, reticent about the the engine for this. Like, once it he ignites it and it kicks into life, he actually kind of bodily moves back a full step away from the open flame. Liz, I would absolutely love for you to be our, um, like, commissioned boat captain. Um, you know, the, the person that they hired to take them out into the swamp. <laughs> I think I'd be French, right? Okay, I can do that. And an adult. Does, doesn't have to be French. Yeah. Liddy was nowhere near. <laughs> and so over here you see these beautiful trees. That, uh, well, they grow. And that's uh, all you Are you giving know. a tour or just talking to yourself? I'm just enjoying... My time out here. This okay, that's so. fine. While you're having that okay. kind of, uh, uh, I think because you know you speaking as a bird would be a surprise. So upon you speaking out of turn, Oromar thinks quickly and kind of becomes the pseudo ventriloquist dummy to be speaking in Travis's stead to cover that. Uh, oh. oh, I'm so sorry. Please, I do not want to be. I do not want to do a talent show here. This is just my job. I. I understand this is very, it's, it's very talented, but it's not, it's not my bag. So if you are, <laughs> well, just keep that to yourself. Would it be more interesting if perhaps I drank a glass of water while I spoke? I would prefer you didn't. The water supply on the boat is very limited, and there's brackish water everywhere, so it's unab- we are unable to drink it. So I prefer you would not. I assure you, I can drink brackish. Armar like reaches into their coat and pulls out an apple and starts chewing that instead. I <laughs> <laughs> it is very impressive. Actually, you know what? I I say I do not like these sort of talents but that is because I cannot I feel like I am untalented it makes me feel just a little bit less than what I am you know I'm sure you could eat an apple if you tried I know I feel like I could you're fun you're funny (laughs) I'll leave you to do it (laughs) so uh you two were also out here on a hunting trip I feel like we should have chartered a private boat 
instead of getting just a public tour. Arma kind of like nods and you can't quietly sign. This isn't how that works, but Arma kind of like nods like as slightly as they can in a kind of emphatic manner being like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I know. I, I think there's like a very brief flashback to the kind of boat commandeering space where we actively tried mm-hmm. to go and get like a private boat and uh, each time the amount asked for a private boat, Oromar kind of tilts their head in the kind of like, I don't want to pay that. And there is no way in hell <laughs> Travis is going to pay for anything ever. Um, <laughs> so we end up uh, doing a ride share and we are not enjoying it. So first we will be dropping off the ventriloquist. And, uh, and the dummy, I hope. <laughs> it's very funny. It's, the bit is very strong. <laughs> it's it, it is super impressive such an impressive talent uh i'm i'm just i'm surprised that uh to see another group head out to the main granils that seem more equipped for ventriloquist performance uh than hunting arma i think pulls out yeah he has a pistol he pulls out a pistol and then does like you know an effortless twirl of it in the fingers very revolver ocelot Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, winks at this hunter and then puts the revolver back without saying anything. Never mind, never mind. I see you know your way around a firearm, but uh, does your group know about Chasseur Sumarte? I'm sorry, sir. Please say that again. <laughs> it defends my sensibilities. Uh, look, I know, uh, I know that... Uh, we said it last time, and we got people who do speak French to say it properly, but I'm playing a character, clearly has an accent of some sort, so it's okay if that character gets it wrong. Right, whatever. Lets I'm you bulletproof sleep in this night. moment. Whatever puts your head to sleep. Nothing helps me sleep at night. I have ADHD. I take ADHD meds, and those keep you up. So, no, this isn't going to help me sleep at night. Am I self-conscious about it? Yes. Am I more self-conscious about it since you chose to point it out to me? Also, yes. But here we are. Do you or do you not know the local legend that I'm about to impart Arma, to you? Um, <laughs> I, I think that entire spiel, I assume, being in character, Oromar is just kind of like, can't flush, their face can't, their face can't flush in embarrassment, <laughs> but is just kind of like lost of how to handle the social grace so just kind of slowly and robotically shakes their head no that they have not heard this story before and elaborately does a twirl of the hand of a do you go on sir (laughs) (laughs) if if you're out here hunting i assume you're after venom backs the 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 deer that that run around these parts yeah slow nods and the kind of like "Mm." I've, you know, I've, I've hunted some venom backs in my. Actually, this is an open conversation, so Oromar can actually sign without being weird. Oh, yeah. Delightful mm-hmm. creatures. Yep. Uh, livers definitely go for a pretty penny. Uh, problem is, nights like this, when the moon is thin, he says, indicating up to the, the crescent moon above, hid things are a little bit more hidden, a little bit more obscure than they might normally be. And that's when Chasseur comes out. It's a creature that resembles the deer, walks like the deer, 
but walks with an unearthly light. They say that it drains the blood of its victims, leaves them floating in the brackish swamp, preserved, ready to be discovered by what other unfortunate souls might come out without their wits about them. Well, fortunately, I and my bird are as tough as jerky these days. The captain laughs and it sounds... Hell! (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) I have a series of cough drops back there. I also have some gummer mints if you get to partake. Or, uh, Orimar politely like waves no and consumes another apple. All right. So long as, as you're uh, prepared to maybe be contending with a monster, venom backs are going to be good for you. Obviously, just wear gloves because uh, they're out here amongst the mangroneal. Um, so... That, that, that's tough touching, if, if you know what I mean. And what I mean is that it will burn your skin with a horrible poison coming from the mangroneal. You don't want that. Orma, I think enjoying the character of this hunter, who is the incredibly devil-may-care, signs back, poison? Oh no, not poison. <laughs> In a, I don't know how you can sign that sarcastically, but he manages... I, there has to be sarcasm in mm-hmm. sign language. Like, in our world, absolutely. I can't imagine a population of people not mm. having I access to I think his head sarcasm. tilts and eye roll I- in addition to the hand gesture. <laughs> poison. Oh, no. My poor hand. So vulnerable to poison. <laughs> I sense a kindred spirit in you. They, they, like, take out a flask, pour, a, like, a little measure of it and pass it over to, to Oromar. Ah, uh, I, I couldn't possibly. We'll ruin the apples. Uh, but I can. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Oromar gives you the that shot of, uh, gives you the shot of, like, flask moonshine. Um, yeah, well, you know those drinking bird little desk <laughs> toys? Yes. Mm-hmm. Just that. Yeah, you, you just you just beak uh, mm-hmm. beak a little measure of it. It it it, it like it definitely burns. Um, it definitely I do burns. think <laughs> I I love the the name of moonshine. And mm-hmm. by this time, our uh, all my fantasy skyjacks episodes have aired, so we do know culturally more about the moon, even if the performers Ooh. don't know. But I do like the idea that moonshine uh, being a drink. Uh, I think primarily like cared for under the light of the moon in sphere definitely helps you see things that that are normally concealed Mm. um and travis especially being a child of the forest a forest son as you drink this you like you feel that burn go down and you kind of feel throughout your body like the warmth of uh the alcohol radiate throughout you you can see in the night air like a a brighter glow from this place it's as if the light here is, is brighter than it was before it is less midnight dark for you and in that you can see lights kind of winking on and off in the darkness ahead of you amongst the mangroneal. Oh, this is uh this is some pretty strong stuff. That is a mighty impressive muppet you got there. The captain winks. 
with that, I, I think we can see the engine of the boat like sputter down to, to a slower float uh, as, as you bump into the edge of like some muddy land. All right, everyone, please watch your step as you leave. If you would like to leave me any reviews, uh, please do. And uh, five stars for five great minutes on the ride with me. <laughs> Orma, because we've had these kind of things where he's been well prepared in advance, tosses you a silver bit with five stars stamped in it. <gasps> my, my. Fantastic. Sir, I I will I, I offer this to my good clients. If you would like to recall me at any time, please just send a pinch and I will uh I you can make a, a scheduled ride if you or would a mass like. lines back, as long as you talk as much as I do. <laughs> well, but that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, I will do this Being for you. Not at all, but still. Right. Yeah, we step off the boat. Do you, do you? There's other passengers heading off elsewhere, or does the hunter follow? Yeah, well, I, I think uh, Liz had mentioned that those characters were getting dropped mm-hmm. off somewhere else. So he just sort of waves, "Happy hunting, strangers!" As we can see, like Liz's character gets up on this uh, grappling <laughs> cannon and fires it off for the next location. Yeah. That's metal, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> With the kind of like, I guess, receding sound of the burning engine, uh, Oromar, uh kind of like nods to to Travis, kind of like lead the way. And he uh, pulls out an empty jar and kind of like puts it to his mouth. And yeah, it starts to like slowly fill with like apple puree as we start walking to where we're walking to. <laughs> Ooh, gross. Uh. <laughs> well, Travis, you are out kind of in an area that like you were almost called to. I- I'm curious, how are you tracking this other changeling? What what method is Travis using? I think let me know if this is not possible. When I don't think that just by looking at a changeling, another changeling could inherently tell. You know, like if you just meet someone, I don't think you can inherently tell that they're a changeling. Mm. Yeah, I think we've established that you can't do that because you didn't discover that this was another changeling until like basically right before Mm. you left. Mm -hmm. But I think that if you know, if you know, you're able to sort of sense the magic not of the changeling but of the actual change mm. so i think that mm. basically they're following like a trail of locations where this changeling has transformed that is the winking in the distance oh <laughs> i kind of think like if we flashback this is like almost oceans 11 like heist style in the past travis was it, it's not that like other boats were were too expensive or that travis was completely unwilling to invest in the adventure travis was like looking around for someone who had moonshine and the thing that travis knew and wanted is like i'm not going to pay for this moonshine 
there is someone that I can charm into giving me free moonshine. <laughs> so you like sized up at, at the uh, boat like commission area which passengers had moonshine and you slowly like maneuvered Oromar to split a ride with them. Now, having the moonshine in your system, you are seeing, quote unquote, with the light of the moon. It is said in Sphere that the light of the moon can reveal hidden things. And to you, as a changeling, being a child of the forest, when you are in line with the moon, you can see with the queen's sight which means you can see things like the energy of transformation. Out in the distance, these winking lights reflect to you where this changeling has transformed. Some of them are brighter, some of them are fainter, which means you have a path to follow. You really should have tried the moonshine. I don't know if it would have worked, but I I can't compromise the um apple nectar I'm working on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for I'm I'm excited for this to all lead to something. <laughs> okay, is that you asking in character or out of character? No, no, no. I'm just excited. I don't want to know. I want I want to go along for the ride. <laughs> I mean, I'm I, genuinely yeah, excited. As, as, for as long as nobody asks, or I will not explain. But uh, <laughs> God, I love it. I absolutely love it. Hey, heroes, it's James, your game master, and for real... This time I'm serious about it. This is the generic mid-roll. Those other generic mid-rolls, they were generic, but now they are. Uh, just so everybody knows, I'm doing generic mid-rolls because I recently had a baby. And taking care of a newborn does not leave me with time to do most of my regular podcast duties. Obviously, Skyjax is going to continue posting. I'm just not going to be making bespoke mid-roll announcements for it. With that said, first, I want to thank Lex, the Lexicon artist, for joining us as a guest for this arc. And I want to let everyone listening know that Lex is currently touring. So if you have enjoyed their performances here on the show, and you're also in a position where you think you can go out and see shows safely, I highly recommend showing up to Lex's tour. They're going from the East Coast through the Midwest, up and down the country throughout March and April. And you can get tickets for a performance in your area by heading to thelexiconartist.com or following the link in our show notes. I know not everybody's COVID safety protocols allows them to go out and see concerts, but if yours do, there's nothing better than supporting an artist like Lex uh, in a very difficult time. And if you can't make it to one of the tour dates, check out Lex's website anyway and listen to their music. It's really great. In addition to our regular game, for this arc we're playing Starcrossed, the two-player Forbidden Romance RPG. Starcrossed was designed by my dear friend and former network member Alex Roberts and is published by Bully Pulpit Games. You can pick up your own copy of Starcrossed by following the link in our show notes.
A big thank you to all the cast and crew who are involved in producing the music for this arc. That is not just our guest for the arc, Lex the Lexicon artist, but it's also Arnie Parrott, our house musician. Tyler Davis, who you're going to be hearing later on, James Mendez-Hodes, who wrote some lyrics for one of the songs that'll be appearing much later on in the arc, and of course Casey Tony, our editor, for choosing when and where it appears in the show. And also a huge thank you to Tracy Barnett, who assisted Casey Tony in the editing for this arc. As always, one of the biggest thank yous goes to our Patreon patrons who made everything you're listening to possible by supporting the show. Thanks to everyone who supports us already, and everyone who's going to support us in the future. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. And so there is the path ahead of you. And I I think the best way, because like we know that there is a path for Travis to follow and it is mostly a trial and error situation of him being able to find this changeling. I'm just going to draw a random luminary to see how this section of your hunt goes. And I have here the boat. Wow. (laughs) It just left. (laughs) I am back. You'll draw me. I am the boat. That also represents freedom, opportunity, and labor. I I, I think then there is, like, you have this moonshine sight that, that is helping you find the energy of this changeling. You have brought yourself out here to capitalize on that by by being amongst like the the muddy shores near the mangrenil where this this being lives the only thing left really is the labor is like tracking down each individual like light and assessing it i would love Instead of a montage of you moving from from light to light, sensing the changes, I I would love to know what Travis and Oromar are saying to each other, especially as Travis is acting primarily as the eyes Mm. in this operation here. So, Travis, I would like you to be candid. Will you be needing any physical assistance from me are you well i guess i don't necessarily think so but it'd be it'd be nice if you know something goes south to have someone on hand but if you're if you're trying to break off and take a nap i i understand uh, oromar glances at the kind of marshy ground they've been stomping through for the last half an hour this mattress isn't quite firm enough for my needs <laughs> what's your sleep number <laughs> Nathan still doesn't know what that is, even though we've had a conversation about that before. <laughs> I 
it's still a weird thing. Mm. <laughs> no, not something that you would have no. off the top mm. of your head. Mm. <laughs> I think I think Oromar smiles, realizing that uh, a jovial laugh will go down poorly. But you know, continues genuinely though. I am uh, always um, enthusiastic about making sure my crew is well protected. If you feel that uh, the work that you have to do, with air quotes, is um, grave, then I am more than happy to make sure uh, that no harm will come to you on this venture. But still, you've been rather reserved on explaining who we're going to be having a conversation with. Well... Let me ask you, Captain, how many changelings have you met in your life? Oromar thinks genuinely for a while. Besides you, only the one. It was uh, while I was still serving with the Red Feathers, and I must say uh, that that encounter wasn't especially pleasant for either of us, unfortunately. Well, um, do, do I know who he's talking about? I don't think so. Okay. And I'll point out that I, as the GM, don't know who uh, Nathan oh. is talking about. Nathan is is taking advantage of the abject creative freedom mm. uh, that that they have to just establish anything for Oromar's background, and it is automatically true. Mm. My abject creative freedom is only one green, so that's why I <laughs> rarely use it. And we're going to fucking keep it that way, Johnny. <laughs> A mechanics joke. I love that. Yes. <laughs> Aramar elaborates a little bit. The nature of changelings is um, fascinating to the Red Feathers. After all, enlisted spies that can arrive on a scene in one form and leave in another without a trace is fascinating to uh, those who would be able to use them for, well, the variety of pies that the Red Feathers have fingers in. And... uh, our previous attempt at recruiting, under which I was present for, did not go very well. Actually, Nathan, if I could, mm-hmm. I-, I would love to to change this slightly. I like the idea that you discovered that there was a changeling on, on the crew and that this might have been the quartermaster of the captain you deposed. Mm. Ah, so it's kind of like flipping this on its head, and the changing that I encountered was essentially like a double agent. You know, they they separately to whatever was going on with Oromar's life had instilled yeah, himself yeah. as an agent within the Red Feathers, and Oromar happened to have discovered the fact the the his this this character's spy antics had a moment of slipping up, and Oromar found out. Unfortunately, with the way that Oromar's been talking about it, it did not end well for this spy. Um, Oromar was not the person, you know, who, like, dobbed him in or anything like that. But uh, it, it seemed that uh, that particular infiltration attempt by that changeling went poorly and has kind of sat with Oromar since as the only other changeling that they have known, aside from you. Hmm. Is, um, not to make it all about me, but when did you first know about me? You're not especially good at being subtle, Travis Matago. I've never had to be. Indeed. <laughs> the, the process of learning about you was very interesting. You actually managed to 
keep a very low profile by mostly gambling for your food for a while until you decided to drop the curtain. It was actually quite difficult to track that I had an additional member of my crew without me knowing. So I suppose bravo. But once that particular ruse was set aside, well, it was, uh, I suppose, the ship has many eyes, and those eyes do like to tell me what's going on from time to time. Or at least I hope so. Wait, so who who else knows? Have I been pretending to be not a changeling this whole time and didn't need to because everybody knew and everybody just doesn't mention it to me? Bathroom Barry is very competent. Nathan, it was Calivar who told you. <laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Bathroom Barry knew for sure, too, but that... <laughs> <laughs> Discreet, ultimate discretion. <laughs> um... I had a very uh, reliable and trusted informant when it came to crew affairs. I don't so much have them available these days, though. Oh, you you don't have to, but you, you could tell me who. Again, you don't have to. Well, it seems like you might be meeting them again soon enough, according to the ex-Captain Winchester. And I think... Oromar smiles genuinely. I can't wait for you all to have a chat with uh, Kelevar once again. I have missed him, sir. Johnny, at that name, Travis, I think we just get a quick flash of the island in the middle of a desperate battle between Travis, Gable, Dreff, and Jonnet, and the former's captain's council after they had begun their mutiny. I have to imagine there is like some kind of exchange between Calivar and Travis specifically that not scared you, but let you know that you could have been killed. Oh, I think so. Dur- during the fight, I maybe d- I don't necessarily know, you know, physically exactly what he he did, but I think you know as they're kind of like fighting and and trading verbal barbs Calivar says something to the effect of like you know you're not going to be able to slither your way out of this one or something like that where like and at that Travis sort of it make it, it caused him to like pause where Calivar is able to like almost get in and then Travis like shakes himself back into the moment and mm-hmm. is kind of like no that's just like that's just like a turn of phrase you know like he's he didn't mean that's that was yeah. nothing. And then he gets mm. back into fight. Yeah, and we, we, we move back to the present. Indeed. All this time, our ideals might have been different at the time, but, and like he's getting more animated as he's trying to intimate this to you. Our ideals might have been different at the time, but he can see now that I still persist. He can see that I am right. And then maybe I can convince him to be on the right side of things again. I don't know that he's the type of person that you need that's open to persuasion. <laughs> he was as stubborn as a mule on many occasions, but he knows me. He understands me. We have our differences, but I am sure with our intervening time apart, and he can see all that I, the crew, correcting himself, has achieved. He'll have no choice but to listen. 
Whether he takes it on board or not, I can't say, but he will listen. Well, I'll tell you this. I'll help you make him listen, but I I don't know how much more we'll be able to get beyond that. You can lead a horse to water, etc., etc. And as you say that, Travis, you round the corner and we can see very clearly in the air this light. This is something that uh, we determined in the All My Fantasy Skyjacks episodes, like the, the hidden truths that can be revealed by the moon and the power of the Forest Queen's light appears not unlike will-o'-wisps to folks who are not children of the forest. This light can be fleeting and indistinct. But to your eyes, and especially your eyes with moonshine in your system, the light appears very clear. What does a changeling's energy of transformation look like to you, Travis? We've established that it is death and rebirth in a way. So, yeah, I think when other people see it, it is just sort of like like swamp gas but especially with the moonshine, like you said, it's it's like a death and then a birth. So I think that it almost plays like a projector light. And I can you can see like the ghostly kind of aura of someone living. And then you can see it shrink down to like nothing and then kind of pop back and grow again. And it's almost like a, a flickering, like repeated, like breathing almost of like expanding and contracting. Ooh. Yeah. In swirling in this, you can see the different spiritual forms that this person holds. There is a, a very pale and faint reflection of the person that you knew in this, but very prominent. There is an actualot which is uh, other people might know it by a different pronunciation, but they're these cool little salamanders with gills on the sides of your heads, uh, their, their heads. They're great. Go look them up. They're extremely cute. Mm-hmm. And the like equivalent uh, for, for this region of sphere of a key deer, what we have on earth in the Florida keys, these smaller deer that can operate in like these more swampy, like kind of mangrove type places. Those are much more forward, much more prominent than the human that you knew, but like you can sense a bit of them in this. This, this one that we came across, like, I mean, is this the most recent one you think? Is this the brightest one? I think you navigated towards the brightest one that you could find, yeah. Okay. I think that the brightest one could mean one of two things. I think it could be the most recent. But I also think that, like, it's kind of like looking at a long exposure photo. So if more of the changes sort of happened in one spot, it would be brighter. You know, like, if you were to look on the ship, like, Travis's bunk area would be very bright compared to a lot of the other areas. I like that so much. This is an area where this person changes frequently. What does the environment here look like? What what have they chosen to make their comfortable comfortable spot? Do you think it's kind of like a like a camp? Like do you think that they kind of stay out here, like camp out here? I think they live here exclusively. Then I th- I think that there is 
sort of I don't know what deer kind of sleep in, but I imagine a basically a big nest, mm. <laughs> you know, just okay. like made with like maybe some of that moss um, just to kind of like be cozy. It's more like a big pile of blankets than really like a nest that is a home for deer eggs. Mm-hmm. I guess they still yeah. think like a human. Right? I think we understand so. how deer work. They lay <laughs> eggs in nests. <laughs> And I think that there is also um, a little, like, a rock. You know, like, the Flintstones houses, how it's kind of, like, (laughs) rocks built up to look Mm -hmm. like... I think there's, Mm -hmm. like, basically that, but very tiny. Excellent. Excellent. As Travis is looking over this, I think this is built of a lot of things. Like, there is a touch of forest here Mm -hmm. in that things have grown in a particular way that allowed this to to be built and, and, and foster it like enduring but it's also built frankly out of odds and ends that look like they came from people there are you know coats there there are blankets there are probably some tools uh that are here um things that that shine in the darkness that that stand out as this is not something that came from the forest this is something that was brought into the forest that this changeling is using and before we go into too much detail about that i i feel like it is more focused on travis kind of like taking in seeing that this is definitely the home of the person that they once knew, even though much time has passed since the last time you saw them and they appear to be living very differently. There is something of the spirit of this person here, that faint like intermingling of what you saw in the transformations exists here within this space as well. The ghost of your friend. And with that, I think the finch flies in. And before we we do too much writing bits, I want to cut back to Jonnet and uh, (laughs) Wei. Jonnet and Wei, you you have like put your eyes together. And Lex, I would just love to know what is it like as they enter the dream space? What, what, What are they experiencing? I think that they're experiencing... It does uh, It does physically feel like they're falling asleep, but, you know, being awake in their mind's eye, in their third eye, as they fall asleep. So there's this very smooth transition from moving into the real world into the dream space. And once you enter the dream space, there's this feeling of instability. And so... I imagine that Wei, because this is John, it's like sort of first time exploring this space, like Wei would need to teach him how to uh, ground themselves in the space. And the way that you do that is to just, you know, touch your hand to the ground, essentially, and, you know, find solid ground and just like, uh, like make manifest and like make the space real, like make the space concrete it just feels like when you're entering the dream it's very everything still seems very ethereal and like your body feels ethereal but you need to find a way to like make yourself corporeal and so i imagine a way kind of guiding jonna's hand down touch the floor and then now they're both like connected to like the ground of the space 
and then everything uh, starts like firming up around them. Yes. Yeah. Can I can I do a small pitch on this? Yes. I feel like when entering the space, it feels like the first thing that you would see that we the audience would see would be like the representation of like eyes. Yeah. So you'd see the the eye and then you'd see like a lo- like an outline of the character and then they would slowly as they like step into it they like walk in and they get their color they get their inking and now they are a person like they are in the space yeah and so it's like it's like a similar thing where you're like okay you have to you have to ground yourself and create and manifest the ground with which you will stand yeah on on which you will stand yeah and so it's like you go and you touch nothing like you 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 see your fingers like press on nothing mm-hmm. and then the lines of earth like draw themselves out in front of you and now you're standing and and so like Jonet maybe is standing on m- like a smaller much smaller plot of land than teacher way yeah. and like the lines of his his earth are like shaky but they are solid enough to stand on. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Love it. And so when Jonet looks around, wh- what is, is it just a void that only, that we only have like our our, our standing ground in? I, I think we can have like a neutral space like that. To yeah, start. yeah, I think yeah. so too. Yeah, uh, yeah. just a neutral space uh, to start. And I imagine uh, later on that, the space can fill up with more things. I, mm-hmm. I feel so light. I, I feel like if I stop thinking about how I'm standing, I'll I'll stop standing and I'll either f- lift up or fall down. Uh, uh, this is this is weird. It's like gliding, but without a glider. Yeah, it's <laughs> quite something, isn't it? Thankfully, the substance that we used earlier gives us a strong enough hold in this space. And the grounding exercise was just for you to find your bearings. So uh, don't worry about falling out. Don't worry about losing access to the space. Uh, we are here together and we are we, we can just be. Just be. So Jonet kind of looks around, looks at Teacher Way, and then takes a step sort of out into the void and then I imagine like a piece of rock manifests and he steps on that and he takes another one and then he takes a big old leap and then lands on like a smaller like a small patch of land mm-hmm. and he looks back at teacher way um where are we going we are going to create and see your vision Comes a time in every young seer's existence Where they define a vision What they see and wish to witness with their third eye You've heard I generated a blind one Yes, I'm something of a weird case You could find one I made my life in dreams and visions I would get to sleep Fleeting words and hazy pictures Things that I could barely keep In seeking light I seized the night to ease my blinding darkness Write my way back Bridge the gap and make my mind incarnate My search for purpose and happiness Led me back to me I only use my skills to serve myself and chosen family See, I've been burned too many times To aim for bigger things But since you're just a kid Maybe it's better I don't clip your wings. So here's a tip. Get your vision, see it crystal clear. Great is not enough. You gotta see yourself in 50 years. Live the fear, steer your sails to what you're tripping towards. You'll find your clarity in training with the liquid swords. 
<laughs> Once again, John, it's kind of a little overwhelmed. And then I'm just going to keep doing this whenever you mm-hmm. do that. Scotty Jacks. Nightless splendors, I once was told, of stars and moons and lights of gold. But never did I think it was mine to hold such celestial treasures in a box so cold. My mother told me that. She recited to me in her soft voice when I could not sleep. In truth, it's all I really remember of her, that poem. Passed away when I was very young, and the memory of her face, the smell, the shade of her hair, all that has faded, much like many of the things in my life. Oh, I do not mean to be dour, my friends. I was just thinking. When old men like myself begin to think, then uh, we undoubtedly think backward. For you, I imagine, it is quite different, being so young. Your mind is full of tomorrow. And what adventures you are to have. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I apparently am full to brim of nostalgia tonight. Would you mind if we indulged in a tale that was told in my youth? One I was told by my father and his father and so on and so forth and so on. Really? Well, that's mighty kind of you. Now, how did it begin... Oh, yes. Once, in the days long ago, before feather weave and sky ships, before red feathers, before even the mariner, the stars were numerous in our sky. There lived a royal family, a king and a queen and lords and ladies and a castle nestled on a smoky mountain. And this royal family ruled over a valley that ran from the mountains to the sea, and they called their kingdom Anise. Now, the kingdom of Anise was a small place with quiet people, with quiet dreams. The people who lived there loved the woods and the fields, the rivers and the rocky coasts. They made small and quiet things. But the rulers of the land, the great house of Renean, looked askance at these quiet people they ruled. For while the people and the nation valued small and peaceful things, the royal family longed for something much grander. They wished for glory, for money, for conquest, to be like the nations that surrounded them with their armies and navies. But try as they might, none of their grand schemes came to any fruition. The valley remained as it was, peaceful as a field of fireflies at twilight. Now, in the days of our story, the king of Anise was called Povero. And he sat on the throne much as his father did and forefathers before him. He ruled the valley and longed for the riches and glory of his neighbors. And King Pavero tried everything. He declared war, but no one showed up. He tried courtly intrigue, but no one believed the tales he concocted. He tried to duel his long-hated rival, and somehow the two of them became the best friends. 
Time after time, scheme after scheme, nothing ever changed. It vexed King Pavero so much that one day he declared, I will go to the mountains and I will live there. I will leave my crown and robe and be as the quiet folk. And the queen and his advisers nodded and said, I'm sure that would be nice to get away. And so Pavero went to the mountains. And there he lived his quiet life of his quiet people. He hunted and he fished. He picked apples. He made a little house for himself and even kept bees. And he hated it. Every bit of it. It was too quiet. And no one knew him when he passed by. And even his bees seemed to mock him with their lazy buzzing. And as his life grew quieter and quieter, Pavero got angrier and angrier until one day, out in his orchard quietly picking apples, he reached his breaking point. Am I doomed to be forgotten, he cried to the heavens. Will no one know my name? So loud was his yelling that the very mountains around him echoed with his voice. And when the echo ended, something answered. And what is your name? Came a smooth and dangerous voice. Pavero turned, and there, sitting on that stump of one of his apple trees, was something. Not a person, or an animal, not a monster or spirit. It was something. Something wreathed in a shadowed light, with many eyes that stared at Pavero's very soul. And though fear crept into Pavero, he heard himself reply, I am me, and my name is Pavero, king of these lands. And what is a king? asked the something of smoke and gold with too many eyes. A king is me. A king is the most important person among all persons, Pavero replied. And the something laughed, a laugh of broken glass and shattered moons, all mirth. And no merriment. The most important, the something replied. How can you, a mere human, claim to be the most important anything? And it laughed and laughed and laughed. And Pavero never forgot that laugh. Oh, mighty King Pavero, the something finally said, its laughter still ringing the ears of the king. Son of Linus, father of Artemis, who is to come. Mortal man and most important. This I promise you. I, who am endless, will remember you. And that which I remember shall endure. And what is more, I will give unto you other names that you shall give your children so that I might remember them as well. But only one will there ever be a generation. For I'm busy and will not remember more. And you shall have much. You shall have gold. And you shall have plenty. But only for one. And the something reached out and touched the king. And the mind of Pavero swam with names. The king eventually returned to his castle and picked back up his crown and returned to his quiet throne and never more sought the great deeds of those nations that stood around him. And in the days that followed, he had a son that he named 
Artemond. And when Artemond was merely eight years old, the very stars fell from the sky. But Pavero and his son Artemond were remembered. And while the kingdom of Anise burned, and the world around them crumbled, the two of them, and only the two of them, endured. And so the years marched on. Artemond gave way to others all named from names that Pavero carved into a tree, an apple tree, at that place where he and his son lived a quiet life after the end of the kingdom of Anise. And when the kingdom fell away, the crown lost, the kingdom and castles crumbled, the line of Pavero, however, shifted well, from monarchs to business moguls, from merchants to landed money, their castle became an estate, their subjects into servants and employees, and those that came after Pavero, Artemond, Penella, Amarantia, Bergamon, Mace, all were remembered, all lived extraordinary lives, full of glory and riches, but all tinged with darkness and a joyless mirth. For as their glory grew, so did their malice and greed. For it was never enough, and all the houses and fine clothes, the good food and the well-appointed stables could not hide the rot from within. And yet, with every generation, the next name of the tree was used. But one day, five generations removed from King Pavero, a child was born to this dark and mirthless family whose name was not carved upon an old name and tree. The family lamented and begged the mother of the child to name him as the tree intended. He will ruin us all, they shouted. You must name him Caspria as it is on the tree. Don't you love him? Then give him the life he deserves and name him Caspria. He will end his life a pauper, unknown and unloved. So they said, so they begged. But the mother of the child held firm and whispered the child's own name in his ear, and spoke of soft and quiet things, of kindness and hope, of right and wrongs and doing mercies, of the laughter of the wind and the trees, and the joy of a good fire and good company, of the freedom of being good. And the line of Pavero wilted, my friends, as suddenly as a blossom taken by the frost. Misfortune rained down upon that house in a less ostentatious manner. For while there was always money, there was never peace. The mother died. The other relatives as well. The Lana Pavero shrank and shriveled until it was just the boy and his father, and there was no peace. The boy with the wrong name grew, and the father wilted, held together by spite and regret until finally the young boy, his head full of hope and adventure, escaped the mirthless darkness of his father's house and went forth into the world. But one day, many years after he had fled, after many, many adventures, the boy now a man heard the news. His father had died, leaving everything to him. And what did this, this wrong-named son do? 
did what his mother would have wanted, and what King Pavero had done so long ago in Anise. He gave the fortune away to go and live in the mountains and find that quiet life. And they say that on a clear autumn night, just like this one, you'll find that wrong-named son sitting by a fire just like this, telling tales, living his quiet life. And that is, as they say, the end. Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. Design Doc started as a podcast about designing a role-playing game. Over the years, it's turned into so much more. It's a show about the challenges of burnout, making money from creative projects, and what goes into bringing a game to life. Come along with Hannah and Evan in a living documentation of the game design process. One review described it as the audio equivalent of taking a hike with a good friend. You can search for Design Doc on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find more great gaming shows over at oneshotpodcast.com. Like System Mastery. System Mastery is a delightful stroll through the history of role-playing games. Except the games are terrible and the hosts are real jerks about everything. Join hosts Jeff and John as they explore the weirdest games ever made to talk about what worked, what went wrong, and which Silverhawk was the best. It was Hotwing. You can find their shows at SystemMasteryPodcast.com or through a link on the OneShot website. Finally. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. He also co-stars and consults on Showtime's Work in Progress. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcasts, Bill Buds and Dilettante Ball. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at PhantomArtsENT. You can also find them streaming on twitch.tv slash theneoncaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him on Twitter over at A-R-N-E... P-A-R-R-O-T-T. You can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony, or on his podcast, Neo Scum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists, and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show uses a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system, designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals who were fired by the private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. To the strangers who've ever been kind, and once for our friends near rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, who know we can never deny the call of the sky.